0: Is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family so come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello. Welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life Podcast. I am your host, Beth Lucas. Today, we are welcoming back Dr. Jamie Seaman, also known as Dr. Fit and Fabulous. Last week's episode, Dr. Jamie went into specific detail about her health journey and things that have helped propel her to become Dr. Fit and Fabulous. On this week's episode, I'm going to ask Dr. Jamie some tough questions around fertility and PCOS, and how maybe diet could play a large role in both of those. She discusses a recent study on alternate-day fasting, and she also brings up some of the therapies she's using in her practice, like ketogenic eating and low-carb. Additionally, we tackle some misconceptions around birth control. We finish this interview with advice on how to encourage healthy eating with our children. Dr. Jamie has three young daughters, so has some great experience and tactical tips here. So let us take a listen to this bold, strong, fit, amazing mom and physician. Dr. Jamie, here she is. I was listening to your interview on low carb MD and I really appreciated your commentary around birth control, how sometimes physicians are prescribing birth control to force a period and yet it's not really addressing the root issue. So similar to how you're talking about caffeine and alcohol and kind of these band-aids that we have. And then I'd love to talk about maybe your experience with PCOS and anything you want to share in that regard too. So one of the biggest
1: misconceptions about, and I'm talking about birth control pills, so oral contraceptive pills, is that you don't actually have periods on birth control pills. (laughs) Pill manufacturers made this medicine that basically shuts off your entire system. So the way that birth control pills work is they shut off your system, they shut off the communication Between your pituitary gland and your brain and your ovaries, and they stop you from ovulating. That's how they prevent pregnancy. They thought that women would want to feel normal by having a period every month, so they designed these packs of pills that come in 21, 24, 28 day cycles, essentially, where a woman takes the medicine for a certain amount of time and then takes either no medicine or a placebo pill, which essentially induces this quote unquote period well all it is is a withdrawal bleed from the absence of taking medication and it's a short enough period of time that a woman is not going to be able to stimulate her own ovulatory cycle during that short period of time and so women just first of all need to understand that if you're taking birth control pills that is not a real period that is a medically induced withdrawal bleed mm-hmm. <laughs> And because I have women that come in and say, oh, yeah, I'm having very regular periods on my birth control pill.
0: And you're like, wait, (laughs)
1: those (laughs) are not periods. So um, the other real issue with birth control pills is that they come with side effects that nobody tells people about. So they're very well known to deplete the body of things like B vitamins, zinc, selenium and magnesium. They deplete your vitamin C, and E, C and E and they cause low level oxidative stress. And that's because just like coffee, just like caffeine, just like alcohol, your liver has to metabolize them. And when you put all those extra hormones in there, the significantly higher levels than your body normally makes, your body has to process it has to do something with it. And it uses up a lot of your cofactors. And that's a lot of the reason why women just feel kind of icky. Any woman that's listening right now, I know you're raising your hand. Mm -hmm. You just feel kind of gross. If you've ever taken the pill, you have no sex drive, you just don't feel right. You don't feel like yourself. And, and it can cause other serious side effects like headaches or, you know, problems with digestion and things like that, too. But, you know, that's the issue with birth control pills. And a lot of doctors will use them for, you know, PCOS, regular periods, you name it, there's lots of, you know, acne, there's lots of things that people use birth control pills for, which is, is like you said, it's putting a bandaid on the problem, it's not really fixing the root cause of it. And birth control pills, in my opinion, should really be only used for birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, So well. so I prefer for other forms of birth control, definitely over combined oral contraceptives. i a little biased towards long-acting reversible contraception that's either non-hormonal or progesterone-only for a variety of reasons, and certainly less side effects. But I, I definitely want women to know that and understand that. And back to kind of that issue you you said of PCOS, this is a common reason why why patients with PCOS get prescribed birth control is to quote-unquote regulate their periods, which like we have already dispelled that. But a lot of the reason that they get put on birth control pills also is because if you put a woman on the on these hormones, it increases a protein called sex hormone binding globulin, which is able to kind of go around her body and bind up her free testosterone. So people with PCOS tend to have higher levels of androgens like DHEA or testosterone. And so they think they're helping the woman because it's regulating her period and it's binding up her testosterone, and it's going to help with her acne or dark hair growth that she has. But then what happens is when she wants to become pregnant, she comes off the pills, she has all the same problems. And we've not fixed her issue. And now she's now she's got infertility. Mm-hmm. So PCOS is definitely a spectrum of disease, first of all. So we have some women who are skinny. We have some women that are obese. We have some women that have like a full beard and some that don't. We have some women that have no issue getting pregnant and some that have very resistant infertility. So it's definitely a spectrum of disease, but kind of at the, you know, from what we know about the pathophysiology of PCOS is that it is insulin resistance at the level of the ovary. Some people have peripheral insulin resistance and some don't. But at the level of the ovary, this insulin resistance is causing an excessive amount of androgens, male type hormones to be produced from the ovary. And that further exacerbates the insulin resistance. And it causes them to not ovulate to gain excessive amounts of weight. If they are having periods, they're usually horrible and heavy, they might have symptoms like acne and dark hair growth from the from the androgens. And one of the best therapies for patients with PCOS is a low carb ketogenic diet. And it's, you know, only been shown you know, there's only a couple people that have even you know published about it because everybody wants to talk about medicines to get them. right. <laughs> but it is a great therapy. And I've had a wild amount of success in my clinic, getting women to ovulate again. I've gotten women pregnant just on diet alone. I myself was told I had PCOS. I had to take metformin actually to get pregnant with my first daughter because I was not ovulating at all. And I just think there's so much misinformation about it out there. And when we look at a patient with PCOS and, and her risk of metabolic disease over her lifetime, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. Diet is super important. It's super important at reducing her long-term risks and you know preserving her fertility and, and making her symptoms and you know even aesthetic things like hair growth and acne better. So yeah, I'm super passionate about that. And I'm glad we got to talk about that a little bit. Oh, me bit.
0: too. I just don't think that's talked about enough. And I just love that you bring it back to reducing insulin and reducing our insulin resistance. And you know, I know you've mentioned this before too, but I've had friends who've had really good success with a low carb diet and having similar results of some of your patients. I've also had friends and I know there's a fine line between over restricting, but when they have implemented intermittent fasting, or they've naturally fallen, fallen into intermittent fasting because they're eating low carb and they're not as hungry as often. I've had some of them have really good results. And I think it really just comes back to they are reducing the inflammation in their body they're reducing their insulin and therefore their chances of fertility seem to improve it seems like that's just not talked about enough
1: yeah there was this great study that came out in 2018 in patients who are not even low carb or ketogenic but alternate day fasting so these patients in the study had breakfast lunch and dinner one day and then the next day they only ate dinner and i think the dinner was like 500 calories but this alternate day fasting regardless of of the carb intake, lowered their fat fasting insulin by 50%. So even something like intermittent or alternate day fasting is an awesome tool at reducing insulin. And another thing that patients could could try, you know, in lieu of low carb or ketogenic therapy.
0: Yeah, so I'm in this uh, group on Facebook that Jen Stevens runs called delay don't deny. And I can't tell you how often some will say, Hey, guys, not fasting anymore. I'm pregnant. And, and they'll say, I've, I was told I never could have kids or uh, my PCOS was so bad. So thank you for referencing that study. I just think that's fabulous. And I, I really want that message to get out there because I think it's a message of hope for a lot of people that, that feel hopeless, maybe on their pregnancy journey. With three girls at home, how do you, do you feed them differently than you and your husband eat? And if not, does their, what advice do you give people when they're saying, how do I help my family eat healthy? at home. I I think that's a struggle that we're always trying to to balance with our five children.
1: Yeah. So when I first started on this journey, I was literally like making myself salmon and broccoli and then fixing them mac and cheese.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we've all been there. We guilty, guilty. Hey friends, it's Beth. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please, subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. But it honestly
1: came out of a place where as a mom, it was like, all I wanted them to do was like eat their dinner and be happy, right? Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, I didn't want them to like complain that they didn't want it or whatever. And it was literally my maternal perception of what made them happy or satisfied. And so then I kind of had a heart to heart with myself, you know, like a year or two into the journey and and I looked at my husband and I said, okay, January 1st, they're going to eat what we eat. And not necessarily what we eat, but like how our family works now is if my husband and I are, and I've been amazed. Like when we first started doing this, I'm like sitting in awe watching my five-year-old like down like salmon and Brussels sprouts. I'm like, oh my God, look at her. She's eating it. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, and I was lucky because at the time, I mean, my girls are five, seven and nine now. So, you know, at the time they were like, I don't know, like three, five and seven or whatever. But I mean, they're still, pretty young. So they hadn't developed like horrible eating patterns. But my oldest daughter in particular, I mean, she's like my mini me and I can I can see her body type. I mean, I can like I can see the writing on the wall totally (laughs) for her. And so for me, I really come out of like a place of like, I just want to educate them. I want them to like understand we don't say in our house, like you can have this or you can't have this or this is good food or this is bad food. But we really just talk about, you know, moderation and certain things that that we should eat on a regular basis. And we do prioritize protein. So like if we're having steak, chicken, Salmon, whatever, they're eating the same protein we are. They're eating the same veggies, but they might have like some fruit with it, or you know, maybe they'll have some rice or quinoa, or you know, they'll eat it with a tortilla or something like that. Kids can definitely tolerate way more carbs than I can as an insulin resistant, you know, Mm -hmm. lady. But for us, it's really just talking about what does the food do to us? Does it make us feel good? Does it make us strong? How does it make our brain feel? And they have made connections between my middle child, she's probably my healthiest eater, like she will say, like, like, yeah, I don't want sugar. Like she knows it doesn't make her feel good after like an hour. (laughs) And I've seen her turn it down. And it just like inside and you know, I'm like clapping so loudly, but I don't make a big deal out of it in front of them. But you know, I'm not gonna lie, like they'll have a treat here and there. But for me, it's really just empowering them with kind of the education side of it. And they definitely for those for that year or two, where I was eating something and they weren't they would say like, Well, mommy, why are you eating, you know, a salad with chicken on it? And why am I eating this? I
0: mean, they weren't stupid. (laughs) They asked, Questions. I know I I say when when I would be fasting, they'd be like, Well, why aren't you eating? And I would explain, Well, mommy's done growing and I had a big lunch, so I'm not having dinner. It's, I think your approach is really doable and and so important. The biggest meal I struggle with is breakfast. Um, Mm -hmm. My kids, so we have chickens, we have eggs, but my kids are not big egg eaters. And so prioritizing protein in the breakfast meal is what I find for kids is my hardest because I'm not a big breakfast eater. My husband's not a big breakfast eater. Most of the time it's, you know, coffee, and then we have a, you know, a nice lunch. And so that's the meal that I struggle with the most, I find. I
1: totally get where you're coming from because we have traditionally over the course of our lifetime thought that breakfast was like waffles and cereal and pop tarts, yes. Like all these like carbs and grains. And so then to wrap our minds around something that's like low carb, we're like, oh my God, like what do you feed them? But there's nothing that says you can't eat meat, right? Right. why can't you have like some turkey or some sausage or all the same things you have for lunch or dinner? Like, why can't you eat those for breakfast? It's just uh, like something that's culturally just like so weird in our minds. But I mean, my kids, you know, they might have some like yogurt or egg. My kids do like eggs. So like little like egg muffins. Yeah, I get it. It's hard. They will have sometimes like protein waffles or things like that. But I really just try to, you know, find ways that they can get some protein early in the day. But I get it. I get it. It's so kind of backwards thinking sometimes. It is.
0: But I think that's really Good points, and that's what where I'll say, "Hey, you can have leftovers from dinner last night." I try to challenge that thought process, and I have one kid, my oldest, she's ten. She's really not hungry at breakfast time a lot. She gets hungry a little bit later, and I've just learned to let her go with that instead of like Mm -hmm. forcing food down her. And I think that's another thing that I really want my girls to know that if they're eating the right foods. Their bodies are going to tell them and give them cues of when they're hungry. Don't just eat because someone told you you have to. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can people connect with you, support you and find you, Dr. Jamie? So people can find me
1: most active on Instagram. So Dr. Fit and Fabulous. And I have a Facebook page. I do have a Facebook group, but it's just for my coaching group. I do an eight-week coaching group every eight weeks. And I've got a website I'm easiest to connect with on, on Instagram. And I love hearing from, from people, especially if you've enjoyed the podcast.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Isn't Dr. JB amazing? Thank you for listening to part two of her episode. Did you know that I also lead a private Facebook group? It's called Motivate with My Betty Lou. Lou spelled L U like Lucas. We would love to have you there. We are over 2,500 members and it's a place where we encourage each of you on your own unique health journey. So search Motivate with My Betty Lou on Facebook or you can click the link in the show notes. And listeners, when this episode airs, I will be. No longer pregnant. I am due November 6th. And so, any day now, we are patiently, most days, awaiting the arrival of our new little one. We do not know the gender. So, I'm so excited to be able to share that with each one of you. Thank you for listening to truly what is a passion project of my heart. And I hope that maybe. It touches yours because each guest and each listener has touched mine with your kind words, your reviews, your feedback, and your ideas. This podcast would not be what it is without each one of you. So thank you for joining me. Send me some good thoughts and prayers for baby number six on the way. And remember, living your big, bold life doesn't mean your life has to look like mine or anyone else's. No, it is where you boldly listen, accept, and love your own unique path. And amazingly enough, once we begin to do that, we inspire others to do the same. And we're reminded that the world needs you. Just unique, bold, beautiful you. See you next time, my friends. Thank you for listening today. For more information, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.